Episode 74, Exploring Fear and Vulnerability in Leadership with Bowen White. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin. And today, Deb, myself, and guest Dr. Bowen White discuss the acceptance of personal frailties, the need to take risks, embrace failures, and build a culture that fosters personal growth and effective leadership. Welcome to the Story in Your Head podcast. I'm Ron Macklin, and today we have uh, Deb Dendy and a special guest, Dr. Bowen White. Bowen, could you give a, just a brief introduction of yourself, and then we'll get started. A brief introduction. Well, I am a high-powered medical professional person, um, a father, a grandfather. I'm a boy named Sue. That's Sue Chef to my wife, Kim, who is the chef. I'm laundry boy, I, I'm the lawn boy, and I am, I'm good with uh, low-skill labor. <laughs> thank nice. You, thank, thank you, Bowen. So I want to add a little bit into that. Over 25 years ago, I met Bowen for the very first time. I was 31 years of age. I was in a room with a bunch of executives, and I was scared to death because I, like, I didn't feel like I belonged inside there. And inside that room... I was expecting a Dr. Bowen White to walk in, and what walked in was not Bowen White. It was a lab coat, right, and red nose, and a clown, and I had wondered whether I was still in the right room because I wasn't sure what what this guy was going to talk about. And then he started to talk about stuff that was for the executives that were in the room, and the thing that stood out to me was he started talking about fear. Mm-hmm. He's talking about being scared. And I, for the life of me, thought he was just talking to me. I had the story that he was going to point me out at any moment now that I was the scared guy in the room and everybody else was confident and all this, because they were. They looked at me the way to me. And then he said, how many of you in this room are afraid? And you think there's something wrong with you that you're afraid? Because I was sitting in front of the room, you know, I was going to fill up whatever he's going to say. I'm, I'm going to get it all right because I'm right there close. I just very cautiously start to raise my hand, trying to every courage I had. And he begins to point at me, but he wasn't me. It was just my story that he was pointing at me. He starts to say, and he points around the room and says, look around. And every person in that room, their hand up. And the stories in my head changed that moment. I went from, I'm afraid and there's something wrong with me, to, I'm afraid and I'm normal. So here it is, 27 years later, Bowen. Uh, my first question for you is what, what, like, how did you discover this space where you decided it was a place to share that story about fear and the scared self, scared guy, scared one, and, and to do it in front of a group of executives? Like, what was your, how did you get there? What brought you to that space? Well, I'd been, you know, working with groups of people since 1983, actually 1982, when I started doing group work in my residency in family medicine. And I started, I had written a column for the Kansas City Business Journal from like 83 to 85. And the column was called Patient Potential. And one of the things that I was doing also was I, had started a department of preventive and stress medicine and was doing wellness 
program for the hospital and you know i was doing a medical spot on on tv once a week for the cbs affiliate in kansas city i did that from 83 to 90 and one of the the things that you do when you're interested in stress fear is the driver of the stress response and the stress response is a survival response and i noticed that a lot of what stresses people they they stress themselves i mean you hear people say it all the time yeah i'm my own worst enemy and we are we we grow up sharing something in common and the thing that we share in common and the thing that i noticed was that we get more specific negative feedback than specific positive feedback on the road to learning how to do grown up and it starts in a family system in which knowing all of our family systems are different the thing that we share in common regardless of the family system is there's only one way of doing things that's the right way right way if you can't do it right don't you're do wrong it. and if you really want it done right do it yourself yeah <laughs> so when we started and i look at life as a movie when we started the movie of our lives did we know the right way to do anything i mean no everybody listening you know we we all pooped in our pants i mean we all peed on people we we had to learn the social amenities and what's the final common pathway of learning is a trial and success or trial and error so why do we need repetition 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 when we're learning things because we have to fail enough to earn the right to have met performance criteria for doing it the right way so getting more specific negative feedback than specific positive feedback on the road to learning everything we all got our feelings of inadequacy reinforced and people that loved us cared about us taught us coached us Nobody talked about this secret. The secret that we share is that we all have these feelings of inadequacy that never go away. And one of the things that we learn how to do as a child is to compensate for those feelings of inadequacy at a very early age by showing that we can do stuff like a two or three-year-old's trying to do something and you go to help them and they look up at you and they go, I'd rather do it myself. Yeah. We learn at a very early age, we don't need help. We could do it ourselves. And from that point on, we get reinforced by not needing any help, by being able to do things alone and by ourselves. And we just happen to live in a culture. It's very individualistic. People are supposed to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. So it fits nicely into the acculturation process. And Carl Jung said it, we act out on the world stage what's unresolved within the psyche compensate for my feelings of inadequacy how do i want to be perceived by other people confident articulate you know you only have one chance to make a first impression don't make a mistake don't misspeak yourself so we have a bias and the bias is against talking about what we all share in common and that's this secret that we all have feelings of inadequacy we don't want anyone to know about and we compensate by showing the world how competent and successful and on top of our game we are and the thing is that means we're projecting images that we want other people to see and what's unrevealed is the authentic self so what happens is we don't 
risk being vulnerable by sharing mistakes that we make because then we might somebody might know our secret that we all have a scared guy that I call this part of us the scared one scared guy scared gal we all have one every one he or she never goes away connected to our ego and it's the driver of ambition to demonstrate we can do it ourselves and it's so sad because well I had a girlfriend in high school and I just saw her recently. We talked about this. We had a, a ninth grade, you know, I thought she was great, you know, and was, you know, we had a hot, intense relationship. You know, we would slow dance and suck face. I mean, it was intense. And on my birthday in ninth grade, she gave me a birthday card and I opened the card and looked at it and I had no choice but to break up with her. What do you think the card said? Well, my speculations is something to do with love. I, I love, love you. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I had no choice but to break up with her. Virginia Satir said it. When you feel as if you have no choice but to do X, your self-esteem is in the tank. Mm -hmm. I couldn't risk letting her know my secret. I couldn't let her risk really getting close because if she knew, then she could blow my cover. And then everyone would know. So to stay safe, which is the motto of the scared guy, safety and security at all costs. Scared guys driven by the fear that at any moment we could be exposed as inadequate. Fear is a driver of the stress response. It's a survival response. So you can survive your whole life with the accoutrements of wealth and not live your life fully. But when you, you said something about it drives ambition. Yeah. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, how do we demonstrate to the world that we belong, that we're adequate, competent, successful through achievement, right? And so we have a culture that encourages workaholism because, you know, staying at the office and showing everybody else that you really care. I mean, we connect that to really caring about wanting to do a good job. And so, but it's never enough, see, because the scared one never goes away. So if we allow that part of us to run our lives without awareness, then we can keep achieving and keep achieving and we never learn what enough is because you never have enough to make that part of you go away. I broke up with Sue Siebert, not because of how I felt about her. I broke up with her because of how I felt about me. Mm. And you probably heard how you spell intimacy. I-N- T-O-M-E-S-E-E. -E. We've got <laughs> 7 billion people on the planet, maybe 8 billion. Why do we have so little real intimacy? And I think it has something to do with how we feel about ourselves to risk letting people get close. And it's so sad because we have a limitless capacity for intimacy. If we're aware of that part of it and can be loving and accepting of ourselves with our flaws. Also, if we can be loving and accepting of ourselves with our flaws, because how I treat you guys is more about how I feel about me than how I feel about you. When your flaws show up, I'm more likely to be loving and accepting of you regardless of your flaw. Ah, thank you, Bo. And I'm, I'm, I'm so triggered right now to think about how, how do we change this? Like, how can we shift the culture to be willing to accept 
fear and failure and all these things as good. Well, it's it's funny because we we go from zero to a hundred. We go from a mistake to feeling like we're a failure. You know, there's no grayish in between there. We just go one. I know that's a reminder of what a schmuck I am. The idea of I'm I still got that part of me. I, I'm not going to get rid of that part. But sharing the fact that we all have that in common should be a relief. And mm-hmm. and the idea of being loving and compa- a loving and compassionate person, we have to do that with ourselves. We have to do that. And and it's not it's not a negative thing. And it's maybe it's a good thing that we have this part of us that's there striving to demonstrate competence because we get a lot of stuff done. It's just when the ego is operating at full steam, what we do is going to be operating on the surface of what we're capable of doing together. We have to, friend and mentor of mine, Elmer Green, who was grandfather of biofeedback, we had this conversation about the ego and how it can get in the way. And Elmer said, well, you know, every now and then, you got to throw the ego a bone. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, I can't pretend I don't have one. I mean, Jung, I heard this story once that Jung heard that there was some guy in India, some holy guy that got rid of his ego. And so he, he was in India and he went to visit this guy. What? Well, maybe he's pulled it off, you know. I, and then he met his wife. <laughs> and he recognize that, yeah, right, that, can't get rid of that. That's part of it. And the scared one is part of it. But it's important to recognize that's not all of us. What happens if you switch the C and the A? Sacred. Yes. Mm. Can't deny that I have the part of me Mm. has those feelings of inadequacy. But there's this other part of me. And it may not be the product of a sperm and an egg. I don't know. There's something, there's something about human beings, there's something inside us that's mysterious, whereby any of us would give up in a heartbeat our own life for someone we don't even know and have never met. And that sort of thing happens all the time. What is it? There's something inside us that's not simply connected to the ego. I mean, the ego's concerned, you know, when we're gone, it's got no place to live. But there's this other part of us, this, this part of us, this, the sacred one. That everybody's, we're in the same boat, regardless of club or fil- affiliation. The, the problem is that mysterious part of us that people have a belief system. And the driver of that part of us is love. Whereas the driver of the scared one is fear, the driver of the sacred one is love. And if we're aware of that, then... And we have a belief system that's inclusive of there being some mystery. And in that mystery, there's one family, the family of all humanity. Then regardless of how we approach our relationship with that mystery, the important question becomes, are we worthy of love and acceptance as we are flaws and all? I mean, is God waiting for the new improved you? I mean, you mean just as we are, we're worthy of love and acceptance? If that's your belief system, what good is the belief system if you don't put it into action? So if we can use our belief, our values, fundamental values, are they connected to this 
mysterious love that has different kinds of manifestation. You know, there's arrows. Well, that's not what we're talking about. This would be agape. You know, this unconditional love. It's the it's the thing that's operating when the grandparents are taking care of the grandkids in the presence of their own children. And the parents of the grandkids say to us as the grandparents, well, you never let us do that when we were kids. And the grandparents goes, well, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, come here, sweetie, I don't care if it's filled chocolate on your dress, I'll lick it off. <laughs> You're so radiant. I didn't love you so much. I'm going to eat your face. You know, that, that quality of acceptance and, and it's so satisfying to resonate at, at that frequency. And we, the wonderful thing I think about that is that I don't have to be the generator. I don't have to be the generator. Can you say more about generator? I, I, think, I think we have the capacity to be open. There's a writer I like a lot, Frederick Beekner. He's written a bunch of different books. I think Wheaton College has all of his works. But he, he wrote a book called Wishful Thinking, the ABCs of Theology. And he takes the letters of the alphabet and he writes essays about each letter. So, you know, I'm reading on healing. I mean, I'm in, the, I'm in the club. And he says, imagine yourself as someone of a clogged up pipe, okay? I mean, having feelings of inadequacy, we, we can feel like a little bit of mm -hmm. a clogged up pipe. Yeah. He said, but you're not, we're not totally clogged up. Just open up to the possibility you can allow something to move through you into the world that you don't have to generate. You can hold in your awareness. Energy follows attention. You only have energy for what you pay attention to. If you can just be present and be open, not having to try to figure out the right thing to do or say, to be present and loving. And, you know, that seems to be something we can all do, even though we're somewhat of a clocked up pipe. And the thing is, how do we feel in the process of doing that? When I can remember to actually do that, I like how it feels. Me too. Yeah. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connections. And in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Oh, and you, you, you've brought forth for me the, and you talked about, you know, the ninth grade story. And you talked about, you know, the, the, the family and the relationships there. And then there's that group of people we can spend eight hours a day with, five days a week, working with. And that same group of people are just like us. They have the same scared mm -hmm. fears, right? And the creativity that can come from or come with working with all that and being able to surrender to your fears, and at the same time, the creativity and the fears of other people to bring that together. And 
I noticed myself doing this years and years ago was, well, there was the home life and then there was that work life and it didn't do that. And then it hit me. I'm the same self there as I am at home. So now like, how do we help businesses and, and how do we groups of people? And like, it's, it can be too big for us to, for me to grab, like, how do we change humanity? Oh, a big one. And then how, how do we do our family? Well, that's good. But then there's like the next group bigger. Like, how do we work with that? How do, how do we get them to hold that we have this story called a, a scared one? I think that that's the wonderful thing about getting to be a leader and, and getting to infect other people and help people grow and mature and develop into what they're capable of being. Not what we're interested in them becoming, but helping them become what they're capable of being in terms of their own, their own journey. And to honor the fact that getting to participate in that process is, I think it's, I think it's sacred space. A blessing. If you make it, yeah. If you make it so. And you know, what, one of the things that I recognized when people came to my office to see me, I got to participate in their lives in a meaningful way. And it's an honor to get to participate in a meaningful way in the lives of other people, right? I mean, it's so mm -hmm. satisfying. Well, guess what I discovered? Other people like getting to participate in my life in a meaningful way. But in order for that to work, I've got to risk being vulnerable with them. And the scared one's going to get in the way of doing that. So we need people in our circle of support that are going to be there to help us on our journey because all of us are too close to our own stuff to see with clarity what we're doing all the time. I mean, I use, I use the analogy that, you know, if I shave or any man shaves and gets his face too close to the mirror, well, what happens if you get your face too close to the mirror when you're shaving, Ron? No, one, my fog, I fog the mirror up and can't see what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. My, my bias is we're all too close to our own stuff and our own hot air fault fogs up our ability to see us with clarity. So we need other people in our lives that will hold up a mirror and help us get back on track when we, when our ego takes over, you know, when we forget what we're here to do, you know, we're the people we used to complain about. What are we going <laughs> to do with our turn? We're the parents, we're the grownups, we're the leaders. We are the people we used to complain about. It's our turn. What are we going to do with our turn? in our world, in our sphere of influence. And that's something we each got to figure out for ourselves and see what we can do to infect other people with a suspiciously healthy contagion. That's, it, you know, you just trigger me to think about, so Ron has developed the Macklin Method and a step of the Macklin Method is to allow people to contribute to you. And sometimes it's the hardest thing for people to do. Even though when I asked them, I said, how do you feel like when you contribute to someone else? They're like, oh, that's so fantastic. I'm like, oh, do you let people contribute to you? It's like, oh, no, I can do it by myself. I'm like, oh. And I always ask, like, why do you rob people of the joy? And it's funny. It's funny how that ego, like, oh, no, I can do it all by myself. But how much joy there is in the world and really contributing to others. Yeah. And accepting, accepting. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. 
And sometimes that means accepting something that people have trouble telling us. You know, that's the mirror part. Mm. And if, you, you know, and I think about that, and you think about teachers that you had, and think about did the best teachers that you had, did they always tell you what you wanted to hear? Or did you ever have a teacher that thought you were capable of something you didn't know you were capable of? And because you knew they cared about you and held an expectation that you could achieve, that you could be successful, you were able to learn what you had thought you could not learn. And, and, and I think that's what a key for leaders to know, that holding the expectation that people can get it, you know, that they're capable of, I mean, look at us. Look at all the mistakes we've made on the, on the road to getting where we are. And we're not done. I mean, when I went to hour and a half appointments with every patient in 1984, I put a big sign on my door, caution, beware of doc, enter your own risk. I make mistakes every day, you know, as a reminder to myself, the irony is what do you think a side effect was with patients when they saw the sign? I speculate they'd be very open to telling you about their own mistakes, about their own errors, their weaknesses, their, their stories in their head, their fears. Yeah. Irony is I put it on the door to meet my own needs for me to remind myself about what's important. And the side effect of honoring our own need, although growing up to be that concerned with getting your needs met is to be selfish. If we're here to serve the common good and you're neglectful of your needs, you can't honor the common good because we're all part of the common good. So we need to own our neediness. Mm. And I put it on the door. And so there, that lowered the bar for them to be able to risk being vulnerable with me. And I didn't think about that when I put the sign on the door, you know? So it, we're not done making mistakes. And it's, it's how we learn. If you're interested in growing, maturing, and developing throughout the life cycle, which we're meant to do, we're meant to grow young, not old. We're meant to stay in a developmental process our whole life, continue to learn. It means we're going to continue to make mistakes. And if I'm okay with that, I've taken the negative charge off it, then I'm more open to hearing feedback that I need to hear to help me get better at what I do. And Ron and you, Deb, and myself, and everyone else is an underachiever in terms of what we're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. We just can't get better alone. And we can't get better without making mistakes. We need each other. Tiger Woods, best golfer ever. Guess what he had? He had a coach. Coaches. Still done. And you know what? The coach wasn't as good as he was. It's a pretty important thing for a leader to remember. A, a great leader will have people working for them that will outperform the leader. Because leading is a different skill than performing. And yes, I accept. Yeah. It, ain't it great? You don't have to have all the answers. It's, it's really funny that I talk to so many people who talk about perfectionism. Like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. Mm. And isn't isn't it interesting like that we we need to make mistakes to fail so if you're a perfectionist like how can you move in the world with others when you've stated yep that's the way i'm going to be i'm going to do everything to perfection it it seems like it's a really closed space yeah 
think so. And unattainable. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that's just how you how you may be curious to think about. I think about how this leads to like believing in others, like really believing in others. And you see companies that they hire people that look a lot like them, that act a lot like them, have the same degrees as them. But this idea of allowing for mistakes opens up a whole new space to bring people in that aren't like you and believe in them that they have the abilities to learn. And I'm I'm just really curious how we can bring that forth even more in the world is how do you believe in others more? Risk risk being vulnerable yourself. That's mm-hmm. I, I the only you want to create a safe environment for learning. The final common pathway of learning is mistake making. And I, you know, it's ironic. You could ask a whole group of people, what's the final common pathway of learning? And they'll say everything else but mistake making. And so the leader being vulnerable creates a safe environment for people to ask for what they need, to risk saying what they need in the way of support, to help them do what they're capable of doing. And the leader has to meet them where they are to help them get to where they need to be. That means you have to know what's going on with that person as a person, not simply as a producer. And knowing the story, the story in your head, you need to know the story in a sense in their head. You need to know that whatever it is, it's incredibly logical in the context of that person's development. I, I use the analogy of a movie because it, it just, you, well, you like stories, Ron. I like stories. I love going to the movies. Okay, so let's say we're going to do a field trip and we're going to go to a movie and we go to a movie that we want to see and we go in and we sit down and and we think we're watching previews of coming attractions, but we're actually in the wrong theater. But we're early for the movie we came to see, so we think, oh, just watch a little bit of this. And you see this little snippet out of the middle of a movie and you see this character with this obvious character flaw and you go, what a schmuck. And you have no sympathy or compassion for that schmuck. And then it's time to go see the movie you came to see. And then two weeks later, you go back and you see the movie you saw the snippet of. And seeing it from the beginning to the place in the movie that you saw before, you see the exquisite logic of the flaw. Mm. That they could not be different than they are. In fact, they're doing the best job with their lives with the information they got about how to do grown-up. So it immediately changes the charge, the vibe that you experience in terms of that person and can connect in a way that's instructive as a metaphor for when we see the flaw in the other or the thing in the other that's getting in the way. There must be some logic behind that being there. And to recognize you don't have to know exactly what it is, that allows you to just remind you that they're doing the best job they can with the information. But we all got some misinformation. Mm, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, thanks, Bowen. Uh, what's showing up for me is we basically see the previews for everybody else's life, but it's not the one that makes them look the best. It's that's just, right. It, it's just a preview. And that's all we have to go by. <laughs> and unless we have a stand that says everybody's doing the best they can with what they got, right? They're all afraid. And they're, they're doing their best to use your term, 
to to be grown up or to what do you call it to act grown to up, do or, grown up. Or to do do yeah. yeah to do grown up right <laughs> right because because we most people we meet we all we get is that 30 second preview and it's never going to be their best it's always going to be random mm-hmm. it's up to our stand on how we see them what stories we have in our head that no matter what they're doing we can be centered on what we hold in their head is they're doing the best they can and i, I think this is great for personal relationships families businesses groups mm-hmm. work going to the grocery store right whatever it is you're doing if there's another human there that's a great stand to be in everybody's yeah. doing the best they can just like us just like us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we think we have nothing in common with other people it's so funny i went <laughs> i went to the first international holistic medicine conference in india and the first speaker was the Dalai Lama, which was a real treat. And I was, I sat in the front row and it wasn't a big meeting, but I took a, a press credential to be able to have some time with the Dalai Lama to do an interview. And, you know, that, that's kind of a, another thing. They're driving into the hotel where this place was, that the conference was. It's lined with people, lined with people to get a glimpse of the Dalai Lama. And what he said in 25 minutes made me know I didn't need a special time with him. You know, there's a lot of other people that I, you know, I was fed. And he, he said some things I think that are really useful to continue to remember. He said, I don't know why I'm talking at a medical meeting. He said, I don't know anything about medicine, not a doctor. I do know sometimes I get sick. I go to see a doctor. You know, many degrees on the wall. If I don't feel any warmth coming from him to me, it doesn't matter what medicine he gives me. I don't feel so good. Mm. But sometimes I get sick. I go to see the doctor. I feel warmth coming from him to me. Doesn't matter what medicine he gives me. I feel better. He said, I don't know why I'm here to med- speak in a medical meeting. I don't know anything about medicine. He said, but when you look at the world situation today, and I think he had recently won the World Peace Prize, the Nobel Peace Prize, or, you know, if you look at the world situation, what's required today is love and compassion. Religion is a luxury. What's required is love and compassion. Interesting from the head of a religion. So he spoke, and then another 101-year-old Lama got up to speak. He got up and he said, We are radiant beings. Enlightenment is about discovering that and sat down. (laughs) And, and I, I, you know, I'm father of four daughters. When they were born, you know, I took, after they were born, they went to their mother's breast. And then I took them to a warm water bath in the birthing room and gave them a massage and welcomed them to the world and told them how much we already loved them. And and just generally slobbered on them, you know, when these radiant beings come through us into the world that's sacred space. And you know what the Lama said, we are radiant beings, but we don't feel radiant. I mean, when people get up in the morning, wake up in the morning, you go in the bathroom, you look in the mirror and you go, wow, where did that come from? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you go, geez, you look for the flaw and what do you find? Yeah. I mean, in spite of the flaws, we're still radiant beings, but we don't feel so radiant. 
but you do radiate what you do in the world with your being. You can't help it, whether you like it or not. You're emanating. There's some vibe that's coming off you into the world. And, and the irony is somebody could meet you, Deb, and, and they go, she is so bright. She is so on top of it. She is so together. I, I mean, she's so wonderful. And then they can use your wonderful, wonderfulness in, by comparison to feel like they don't measure up, that they're not. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you know, we don't just project our shadow on, we project our light on. It's, it, you can't see the light in another person if you don't carry. And everyone, you, you see what you look for. Focus on the flaw, you see the flaw. Focus at the light that's in there. Just see it. You'll find the light. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and what I'm taking for myself is, that means when I wake up, I have a story that I'm looking for the light. In you. In me. And I'm looking for the light in others. To be a, a choice in this space. This conversation with Bowen White is only getting started. Join us next week where we continue the conversation and dive into how one's perception impacts their well-being and the importance of playfulness. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listened to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.